Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. We're going to jump into uh, what would be the fourth week, the fourth week of what this has become a series on, on the life of Barnabas, or on Barnabas, the person of Barnabas. And um, we've been discussing this man, Barnabas, who was first introduced to us in Acts 4. And how many of you have been blessed by the life or the person of Barnabas? I have tremendously. And as we've been discussing this man in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 37, if you remember, it, told, it tells us about Barnabas that he sold a field, he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. And this was done to meet the needs of the believers in the early church. And, um, and what an amazing introduction to the life of Barnabas that he sold so that he could meet the needs of others. He gave money so that others could have. It, it really gives us a, an insight of the early church brotherhood, family, and it also gives us an insight of what's, who some of these leaders were. And some of these pillars in the church, some of these leaders, they were pillars because of great giving. They were pillars because of the way that they offered of themselves. Some of you guys are pillars here, and you don't even know it. You're pillars because of your great giving. And it's not necessarily because of the amount that you give or how you give with a talent or a gift, but it's because of the heart that is behind that giving. And we honor that. And that's what we've been doing with Barnabas. That's what we've been doing with him, and we've just been riding on that for four weeks it's going to be now. In Acts 11, he was sent. We, we went, I'm going to kind of give you a summary for some of you guys that have not been here for, the, for those other three weeks. At least you get a, somewhat of a summary, though you should go back and listen to every single one of these Barnabas messages on our podcast. And you'll see them because they'll say Barnabas on it. But in Acts 11, he, we know that he was sent by the church leadership. And he was sent into Jerusalem. He was sent from Jerusalem into Antioch. And he was sent there to encourage believers. You guys remember that? To encourage the believers. So he's encouraging believers in Jerusalem by selling his land and giving. Amen. And then now he's encouraging believers in Antioch um, just by being present and by what he's offering them. It's, so, it's just, he's an amazing individual. In Acts 11 verse 23 and 24, this is what our four week study on this man, it was based on these two verses. Acts 11 23 and 24. I'm going to read it to you just in case you forgot it. It says this. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Remember that? Stay faithful. Stay true to the Lord. Verse 24. It says that Barnabas was a... He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was strong in faith. And then what does it say? Many people were brought to the Lord because of this man. And and so so we've been discussing this throughout the last four weeks or whatnot or five weeks. And in week one, we shared that Barnabas was his nickname. His real name, as we see, is Joseph. But they give him a nickname, Barnabas, because the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And we learned that in week one. That he was son of encouragement. That was the nickname given to him. And and this man, as he lived his life and as he walked, he was a confident man. He offered hope. I, I really, like, I want you to see his life. He was not a problematic person. We all know a problematic person or a problematic persons. He is not a problematic person. He, he, he's, he's not toxic. He was not toxic. But instead, he was there to support. And he was full of joy, supporting. And he was reminding <clears throat> new believers to stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. I don't see how someone toxic and someone who is problematic can fulfill the calling of 
reminding people to stay true to the Lord. Actually, get out of our town is what they would tell him. But they wanted him to stay. Because, because instead of bringing problems, he was solving problems. Okay? He, he was an interesting person. He was not toxic, toxic. He offered encouragement instead of discouragement. It's very important, right, to walk around people that will encourage. And, and it gets very discouraging with const, if you're constantly walking around with people that are discouraging. He was not a discourager but an encourager. And we learned these things in week one. Amen to week one. And we also spoke in week one about the dangers, the dangers of those things that may bring discouragement into your life. I don't know if you guys remember that. I can't go over them today, but you could go back and listen to the message, which is good. But we went over just a few things that might just scratch the surface in your life of things that might bring discouragement. And maybe to some of you, it was an eye-opener on week one. Man, there are things in my life that bring discouragement. I need to cut these things away. Or, you know, so you guys have to figure that stuff out. But now, we jumped into week two, and in week two, we discussed that he was a good man. How are you? Are you, are you good? Remember? Are you good? Man. Man, I'm good. I'm a good, I'm good. Man, I'm good, man. I'm a good man, and we discussed that. And what that looks like for us. That we are to be good people. What, what, I don't know if you remember what that meant and what that phrase meant. But, but that we're to be upright and that we are to be useful. To be a good man is to be a useful person, man or woman of God. It's, it's, when the Lord looks at you, does he say, this is an instrument of honor that I could use? Or does he say, this is an instrument of dishonor. I can't use them in my house. You know what I'm saying? A good man is a useful man. A useful woman. And, and that's what we're called to be. In week two, we discussed that, that we are to, we are to be honorable men and women. And did you remember what, what was our, like our highlighted thing that we spoke about that day? Righteousness. Honorable and righteous. Honorable and righteous. And righteousness is found in the one who gives us righteousness and is righteous, which is Jesus Christ. And we spoke about living in righteousness and honor and being good, man. And that was in week two. How many of you can say amen for week two? And then in week three, we learned through Barnabas' life what being full of the Holy Spirit is. What that means. And, and we spent time addressing immaturity. There are immature believers who are in their 70s and 80s and they're still immature. And then you have some that are 18 and 15 and are more mature spiritually, okay? It's crazy. I mean, immaturity spiritually has nothing to do with age. How do I know that? We discussed this in week three where we said nowhere in scripture do we know his age, but we know the maturity of his spirit. Nowhere do we see, and Barnabas was a man with gray hair. Nowhere do we see he was a man of youth. But we do see that he was mature in the spirit. And we discuss maturity. That one of the greatest attributes of being full of the Holy Spirit is biblical godly maturity. Amen. Biblical godly maturity. That we are behaving. That we are fully grown. And that we are putting away childish things. We've been discussing that a lot here. To to refrain from childishness and come back into being childlike. Totally different things. Mondo opened up the service even with that today. If you missed that when he opened up. To, to not be childish but to be childlike. And, and we spoke about what that deals with in, and what that deals with maturity in week three. Childish things, putting them away. We're learning that a lifestyle of being full of the Holy Spirit will cause us to operate in the supernatural joy the Lord has for us. Amen. We spent three amazing weeks in the life of Barnabas. I would have never thought in my life that I would be able to preach three weeks on a man that only has like four verses about him. But God is so good in his scripture, how he reveals stuff. As we close up this series on Barnabas today, which is so perfectly, I mean, it was not planned. God allowed this service this message to be on Father's Day. And, and you know, I, I wish I would have said, like, I planned for the part four to fall on Father's Day. But God just said, I want that message to be on Father's Day. So as we close this up, we'll look at the last characteristic of his life, of Barnabas' life. And it was this. He was strong in faith. You should write that down in your notes. Barnabas was strong 
in faith. He was a good man. He was what? Number two, he was what? Full of the Holy Spirit. And number three, he was strong in faith. Constantly ask yourself those questions. Am I a good man? Am I full of the Holy Spirit? Am I strong in faith? Remind yourself of those things daily in your life. He was strong in faith. And we could all learn from these messages, you know. All these messages, from the first one being son of encouragement to number two, three, and now leading to number four. We could learn from all of these messages. And, and even to the fathers who are here today and to those that will be listening on podcast, it's important that we know that we can learn from every single one of these messages of what God is calling us in manhood to be and become in his presence. That we'd be good men, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. And, and as we look at strong in faith, the third characteristic, I, I, I want to kind of give you a definition of what this means. The, the phrase strong in faith can be translated as this, as one who is set on his convictions. To be strong in faith, whether you are a man or a woman, and, 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 and even depositing this into, into even the father's life today, it means this, that you are set on your convictions, strong in faith, set on my convictions. If you remember when I introduced this weeks back, I said this, that your mind is made up. I belong to him and he belongs to me. How many of you could say that? Like, like how many of you could say that in intimacy and relationally with the Lord, that I belong to him and he belongs to me? Like, my wife is in that back room and I could tell you this about my wife, man, that you can't and you better never. I belong to her, and she belongs to me. But that, 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 wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't just given to me. That was something that I had to enter into, and, and, I'm, and I'm still, we're still establishing that. And in that relationship with the Lord, it's the same thing, that I could say this, and I could, man, when we were singing today, I mean, for me, what an honor it is to see just two people up here, and yet to see such a response from our family giving God such worship. And, and for me to hear that, it almost encouraged me like, I could do this. I could worship this morning. I could, I could exalt him today because it's deeper than anything around me, anyone around me, or from even the sounds that I'm hearing. It comes from a place of I belong to you and you belong to me. And from that place, I will give you a greater worship, a greater praise, greater honor. I mean, Amen. Amen. Strong in faith. My mind is made up. Strong in faith, if you're taking notes, it's not just a faith in which you believe. It's not just a faith in which you believe. Strong in faith is also a faith that is demonstrated. I want you to write that down. I mean, we're not even going to get to the book of James today, but the book of James is all about that. It's not just, oh, I believe kind of faith. But it's also I demonstrate and I live that in which I believe. My life pours out from that which is a, a heavy conviction inside. Because of my deep conviction, I live in such a manner. How many of you, your lives have been transformed? Not because of what anyone has taught you, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's done in you. Okay? What he's done in you. And filled you with convictions that now has led you to live your life different. Your jokes sound different. Your language sounds different. Your dressing may even have changed. I mean, think about that. Those are things that we're not taught. It's almost like I think about scripture where the Holy Spirit becomes that greater teacher in us. Where there are some things that man does not have to teach us, but some things that the Holy Spirit lays on our heart. And he becomes our grand teacher. How many of you have experienced that personally in your life? Amen. I have. You've ever had an argument with someone or you've ever been bitter at someone or you've ever, I don't know, and then you go back or whatever. And then the Lord just starts to speak to your heart. No one taught you that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher and says, get back with that person and confess and start speaking about those things. Those are things that the Holy Spirit, I mean, man, praise God for those things. My marriage still exists because of that. <laughs> because there's a voice and there's a, a person that is still alive inside of me. And it's setting my convictions. You with me? So powerful. 
So good. You know, without this stuff, without strong in faith and a faith that just doesn't believe but is demonstrated, I want to make sure you understand this. I want to make sure it's clear that without it, without it, we are in danger. We're in danger. We will not fulfill God's will and you will never be able to please him. And you can't get mad at me. You could only get mad at his word. You'll never be able to please God if you don't know what it is to have, to live, and to demonstrate faith. You won't be able to please him. And I can tell you that Hebrews teaches us that. Actually, Hebrews 11:6 6 says it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, God's called you to pursue. God's called you to reach. God's called you to come in. And I believe that, okay, let's dissect this for a moment here. Let's just have a conversation like if we're having coffee. You ready? Look at Hebrews eleven six one one more time. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? Let's look at that verse for a moment. Maybe, maybe that this is the reason why. Because watch this. Maybe without A, B is impossible. So B to become possible, A needs to be established. What do I mean by that? That my diligently seeking him would only come from a place of where my faith pleases him. Because there is no way that I could diligently seek him if I'm without faith. But that because A, I am with faith and that pleases him, now I come to a lifestyle that is constantly searching and diligently pursuing him and seeking him. And do you know the kind of God that we serve? I don't know if you've ever studied this stuff in the scripture, but watch this. He is a God that when he is searched for, listen to this, 10 out of 10 times he's found. (laughs) That's awesome. He's like, you can't come from him and like, I didn't find him today. You played the game wrong. You searched wrong. What do we start with? Let's talk about faith because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And those who what? Diligently seek him. He, we must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, awesome. B, seeking him and finding him is, him is possible with A, having faith that pleases him. How many of you could say amen? It's a whole other message, so I don't want to stay there too long. But that's good. And that's, that's, that needs to be understood in our lives. The Passion Translation says the B part of this verse like this. Ready? He rewards the faith of those who give all their, I love this translation when it says this, who gives all their passion and strength into seeking him. Because now, now it tells you the intensity in how you seek. It's, it's how do you seek passionately and with all my strength rather than how do you seek in my chair? I just look, if I don't find it, then I just give up. That's not real seeking. I'm really bad at finding things in my house. Nancy says, get the thing in the medicine drawer. It's up there. It's in a purple box. Okay. I open it. I do this and I close it. I'm like, I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. She knows me already. We're almost 10 years married. And she says, right, you can't find it because you're searching stinks. She tells me that all the time. (laughs) Your searching stinks. And then she tells me and she shows me how my searching looks like. This is what my wife does. She's awesome, man. So I'm actually bashing me in this, not her, okay? I don't want you to like, he's always bashing his wife. No, I'm bashing me. So she comes into the kitchen and she opens up the cabinet and she says, this is how you seek. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, I didn't see it. And she opens it, she'll move one thing, he's like, it's right here where I told you. Come on, spiritually it's the same thing. Spiritually it's the same thing. Some of us come and I had my fix for today. But some of us had to rearrange and search deeply with all their strength and with all their passion until they find what they're looking for. And then you want to sit back and blame God that God is not touching your life and answering your things. Don't blame God for your lack of searching. And don't blame God for your lack of seeking. 
we must come to grips to the recognition of you're just opening the cabinet and you're doing a regal. And you're closing the cabinet up. And you're searching in the wife of the, in, of the prophetic word of my wife. Her words, your searching stinks. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I say that with a smile because my searching stinks. But it's gotten a whole lot better. Some of you caught that. It's gotten a whole lot better. My searching stinks at times, but it's gotten a whole lot better. Come on, man. He rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and all their strength into seeking him. I belong to him, so I will search him with passion, and I will search for him with all of my strength. I prayed for him in the morning, and I couldn't feel his presence, so my day stunk. No, you just don't give up because you didn't feel something in the morning. You go the whole day searching with passion and with strength, and his presence will show up. You can't just hide. Just the morning devotion stink today. And how did your daily devotion go? Because our morning devotion is not something we read. Our daily devotion is how we are set in our convictions and how we are strong in my faith. So next time you text me or next time you call me or next time you say, how did your morning devotional go? It's not about a morning, an afternoon, or an evening devotional. It is about a lifestyle devotional that from every moment of the day you are searching him strong in faith, set in convictions with a passion and a strength till he's found until you hold on to him and say, I'm never letting go of you All I need is you, Lord, is you, Lord. A life set on convictions, amen. A life that is strong in faith, giving all, all our passion and strength into seeking him, not just for us. Everyone say, not just for me. So the cabinet story, it's not just for you. Everyone stare at your Bible, whether it's on your electronic or whether it's paper. That, that book right there, those letters written for you, it's not just for you. Everyone touch your, touch your heart, touch your soul deep in there. All that stuff that's happening inside, that's not just for you. These convictions and this being strong in faith, I want you to write this in your notes and I want you to really chew on this for the rest of this week and for the rest of your life. It's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's not just for me. It's not just for us. And it's not just for us So because this is how we Christians think a lot. Come here and follow with me for a moment. We think this. Ready? Oh, this is just so I could escape earth and finally get to heaven. That's how most Christians think. I just, just escape earth and get to heaven already. It's not just for that. You miss this whole faith thing if you thought this is just about escaping earth and getting to heaven. It's not just about escaping earth and getting to heaven. You know what it's also about? It's about that two-year-old girl when I walk in and says, Dada. It's about that five-year-old son that when I walk in and says, Dad, it's not just for me. There's no way it's just for me. It's for that niece that when I walk in, she's a a grown teenager and she still jumps on my lap and gives me a kiss because she looks up to her uncle. It's that nephew that I kiss in the forehead every time I see him and I tell him I love him. This, this stuff is not just for me so that I could escape earth and get to heaven. There's a five-year-old and there's a two-year-old that are waiting to walk in the path that I am paving for them so that they could take it even farther than I would have ever thought they would have gone. It's not just for me. This whole strong in faith and set on my convictions, it's not just for you. Many of you have someone probably from a next generation. It doesn't even have to be your own kid. But it's someone that looks at you. It's not just for you. It's, it's for the legacy that we leave. How often do we preach that here? So that generations after us, if you study the Bible carefully, you don't even have to study, study it carefully. It's so obvious. God is a God of generations. 
He's a God of generations. He's constantly doing stuff for generations and for generations to come. And then to break things from generations past. He is a God of generations. That's why he's the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the God of that generation, of this generation, and for the generations that will live forevermore. He's a God of generations. He's not just for you so that you could escape earth and get to heaven. He's also here for the ones that look at you and follow you on your little social media accounts. And the ones that say dada and mama. And the ones that look up to you and say that person says they're a Christian. I want to see what it looks like to passionately search for God, be strong in faith, set on my convictions. I want to see if he does it right. And you thought it was just for you so you could escape. It's not just for me. Happy Father's Day, but it's not just for me. So that generations after us can follow our path that we've set strong in faith. Why is this so important? Don't make it about yourself only that, just for that. But consider the ones whose eyes are gazed upon you. That don't just want to take that faith where you've taken it. But want to take it beyond you could have ever even imagined they would have ever taken it. My son, he's going through a whole bunch of stuff in his five-year-old age. But there's something that's so special every time he says it. And this kind of scares me. He says, Dad, when I grow up, can I be a pastor? It's not just for me when he says those things. You see, I, I, we got to be very careful and not just credit that as a five-year-old saying it. i got to be very careful and, and make sure that I don't have to steward that. Because he might be some of your guys' future pastor. And, and, and he'll be ready for that. If I steward it right now, I, 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 I want him to take me out of a job. And I want him to do better than I could ever do. Maybe that's why I, everything I feel like God wants for us, he's maybe holding back. Because like, it's going to be through your son. Follow the Bible. It, I don't know what God wants. Maybe it is. Through, I don't know what that stuff looks like. But I know this. It's not just for me. And when he says things like that, it's weird. I mean, you know, right after that, he'll be like, or, or I could be a firefighter. But I'll be like, it's cool. You're putting out fires on both. <laughs> You'll figure it all out. It's good. You'll be, you'll be all right, whichever one you choose. I'm not going to try to create him to be something that I want him to be. Oh, man. But I definitely want to steward. I definitely want to pour in so that I could help him become what God wants him to be and support him in that. So when he says those things, I don't look at, oh, it's just a little five-year-old because he hears dad preaching. No. Because I've seen him sometimes, and I've, when I'm preaching sometimes, something happens to him. And he starts to study me. He gets fixed on me. It's so weird. But I have to recognize it. It could be a five-year-old thing. Or it could be something that the spirit wants to do. So I have to honor that. So son, don't stop staring. Don't stop staring. And hopefully, what you see at home and what you see with mom blows this stuff out of the water. Don't stop staring. Because it's not just for me. I'm set on my convictions. I'm strong in faith. Because I got a five-year-old and I got a two-year-old that says, Dada. And I got some other ones that also look up to me. And they say, what is he going to do? So I do this for more than just two kids. And I do this more than just for myself. How many of you could say amen? I almost feel like just saying we're done. Hmm. Paul tells the church this. In Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 16, he says to watch. Everyone say watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Sounds like Barnabas, doesn't it? And let all that you do be done with love. I love that. I love that he's like, all those things are good, but without love, they all stink. Paul's good at always reminding us that love is the greatest gift. <laughs> so it's cool that you are watchful and you stand fast and you're faithful and you're strong and you're brave. But what good is it if you're not loving? <laughs> so good. 
I want you to look at those two verses again. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. I want you to recognize that those two verses are all done in the context of faith. Love and faith. The word watch there, if I could define that for you better, it means this. Take notes and you should write this. It means this. Watch means this. It is a faithful anticipation of future events. To watch, to be watchful, is faithful anticipation of future events. Why did I think this verse was so important? Maybe because of this right here. It does not mean stressful, anxious, fearful, but with faithful anticipation, we look to the future. What does the future hold? We have no idea. Do you look forward to it? Absolutely. Why? Because my faith meets me there. My faith here is my faith there, and whatever the future brings is good. The pre- I mean, our faithful anticipation towards future events, whatever it might be. Why, why, why would I say such a thing? Here, here is, my, here is my, my, I guess my theological reasoning behind why I say this. Ready? Because he holds it, he plans it, he directs it, he leads it. <laughs> That's it. So because of that, because he directs it, plans it, leads it, and all of those things, then I could only what? Train myself to have what? Faithful anticipation. Be watchful. Why? Because he leads it. He directs it. He is in control. Yes or no? So good. So, so now we, everyone say me. Nah. Your searching stinks. <laughs> everyone say me. That's good. Me. Now, our job is this. Ready? Our job is we walk we believe, we live, we watch, we think, and we demonstrate a lifestyle now that is strong in faith. Oswald Chambers said this, faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. I have faithful anticipation. Why? Because my faith is established in the one who is leading me, and I'm so in love. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. That was good. Oswald Chambers, when he, he hit it there. I don't know where it's going to lead me. But how many of you could say this, but I know who the one who is leading me. I know the one who is leading me. And, and my love and faith for that is good enough. Good enough for the one who leads me. I say yes and amen. Then he says, be brave. I, I want to jump into this one. Be brave. The ESV says it this way. Be strong in faith. Look how the ESV says it. And act like men. The New King James says just be brave. ESV says act like men. You know that when you look that up in the Greek, it could be better translated as something better. Here it is. Ready? It could be translated as this. When it says be strong in the faith and act like men or be brave, it could be translated as Play the man. Play the man. Be strong in the faith and play the man. Which now when we read this verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians, it can be better translated as play the man. So now when we read this verse, it doesn't only have to do with our bravery, but it also deals with our maturity spiritually. It's not this. It's not just to be brave and yet in being brave be immature. Because we've all seen braveness and immaturity and for many people that leads to premature death we think like we're brave no that was stupid watch me cross the highway i'm so brave no that's lack of that's dumb it's immaturity and and sometimes we confuse that stuff right or bravery with immaturity and then the frog gets run over it leads to premature death many times i've seen many many before the lord Live brave, never deal with immaturity, and very few are still standing with the Lord today. Very few are still standing with the Lord. What do I mean? Be brave, and what? And let the Holy Spirit mature the man inside of you. Play the man. And that, that, that phrase is also talking to women. Man, oh, play the man, act like men. Not bravery and maturity, but, but bravery and maturity that operates in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. Huh? Be brave. Play the man. Faithful maturity. How many of you could say amen? It's a maturity that is also seen in our faith. Strong in faith. So here it is. Ready? Let's kind of 
wrap this up for a moment. Barnabas walks into Antioch. Let's go back to Barnabas for a second. He walks into Antioch. He was right for the job. He was fit for the role, perfectly fit for the role. And these early believers, they needed someone that was not going to lead them in just falsehood. Why? Because if you study the scripture, you'll recognize that the early church was constantly being led by falsehood. And the apostles constantly had to address false teachings. Very similar to today. And, 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 and as he's coming into Antioch, he's not leading them in falsehood, in false teachings. He also has someone who is over-emotional. Emotions are good. They're from God. But over-emotional. They did not need someone that was inconsistent or unaware or without vision or was a divisive person. Okay? Of, or maybe even this, an over-controlling, a dominant or demanding individual. Barnabas instead steps in and with one of his greatest attributes with a smile in his face and he steps in with joy <laughs> he steps in with joy and then scripture says not just with joy but he steps in as a good man full of the holy spirit and strong in faith he doesn't say watch this watch what you need to stand here and you need to say this when i do this and this is how we he he's not demanding and over controlling he comes to encourage with what's happening deep down in his own devotion and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's a good man. And as we're learning, he's also being what? He's watchful. As we're learning that, what that means of what being, what, what, what strong in faith means. It means it watchful. He's a man with vision. He's a man with vision. What do you mean vision? Many of you thought business minded already. Oh yeah, building churches, building structures. No. The greatest vision any man could have is that his vision was set his faith was set. His love was set on the one who leads him. My vision is clear. And without that vision, men will perish. Sometimes we twist that verse. You don't need to follow a man that knows how to plant and knows how to do great things materialistically. You just need to follow someone. And that's the kind of vision you want. That knows, fears, and loves the Lord. We twist that scripture so much. And that's who Barnabas was. He was direct, he was strong, he was persistent in that. He was watchful with vision. What do I mean? One more time. Anticipating, that's what he was, the goodness of the Lord in the present and also for the future because of the one that he sat with daily. A man who did not speak what he believed only, but he also demonstrated his convictions with every conversation. Come on, what does it say about us? With every decision. With every word, with every action, he showed maturity in his faith. Why? Because he was strong in faith, in his convictions. <clears throat> I feel like this is my favorite one out of all four. He played the man. He played the man. Played the man. He pleased the Lord and he pleased others. Because he was rooted in faith and his life was devoted to seeking the Lord with all passion and with all strength. He played the man. He played the man. We as believers, and as I speak even to the men or to the fathers even, and even to all the women, everyone here touches the whole room. As believers, we must see the significance of this. That the Lord is calling us to be strong in faith. What do you mean? You still don't get it? The Lord is calling us to be set on biblical Godly convictions. Why? So that you and I could finally live fully in the destiny that the Lord has for us. One more time, it's not about me. And so that the generation after us can take the baton from our hands and do greater things that we could dream of doing and dream of getting to. I belong to him, and he belongs to me. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you ask, or you say, well, where do I start? I have no faith. I tell you today, grow it. Grow your faith. Do it. And what, 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 what do I start? I don't know. Put yourself in a place where you have to demonstrate it. And then maybe in demonstrating it, it will begin to grow inside of you. You know why I say that? Because of Romans 12.3, there's a part of that verse in Romans 12.3 where it says this. 
Romans 12, 3 says, God has dealt each one a measure of faith. If many of, if you guys got into, if you guys got into your cars and you got dressed and you got ready and you came over here, I believe this, that all of you, the Lord has given you a measure of faith. How many of you could say amen to your measure of faith? But how many of you know that your measure of faith does not stay the same as it did on the day of salvation? It grows. We've been teaching here from glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength. You've been given a measure of faith, but man, shame not on God, on us, if the same measure of faith is still the same tomorrow or a year from now. We grow it. How do I grow it? Put yourself in a place to demonstrate it. You can start by putting yourself in positions in which greater faith will arise. You know what I think about as I was kind of dialoguing this stuff in my brain? I I thought of, just join me in my craziness. I thought about Moses with a few million people behind him, with him, and, and there's a body of water in front of him, and he's at the edge, and there's a body of water. He's like, we're going to drown. We can't, they're going to massacre us. And behind them, the smoke is rising from the Egyptian armies coming. And he's looking, and the smoke is rising, and the yells of the Egyptian warriors are, are they're screaming with their spears and their chariots, and they're, they're getting closer. They're getting closer. And the million people around him are just like, Moses, And I love that Moses has to come to a place where he has to just demonstrate his faith. So all he has is a stick in his hand, which is known as a staff. And he says, well, let me try it out. (laughs) He lifts up his staff, and the water is lifted up with it. And they cross over, and their enemies are defeated. I think of weird stuff like that, you know? I say Moses was taken to a place that for his faith to grow... He first had to put himself in a position to demonstrate it so that it could grow. So the next waters he faces, maybe he'll remember, shoot, I did this once. If he did it before, he could do it again. I think about that. I think about like Daniel in the lion's den does not bow down to the king's commands, does not bow down to the. So he's like, come on, we're going to take you down to the pit. And he gets thrown to lions that are about to devour him. I'll take it. I'll go in. I'll go in. I I think about men and women all over scripture. I think about Moses' sister who makes an ark and puts him in the water. And that right there is a demonstration of faith. And then later on, she meets him up at Pharaoh's house and raises, his very own mom raises him with all the king's money. Sometimes God just says, I'll grow your faith, but put it to a place where it could be demonstrated so you could see, so you could see, man. That I don't fall short. You may fall short, but I won't. You'll see that I am so faithful. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. When they, when they replied to King Nebuchadnezzar because they would not bow down to his statues. And he says, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. What? Dude, you're about to get thrown into a fire that is being lit up seven times harder. He's like, I don't care. I don't have to defend myself before you. Because you see, you think I stand before kings, but I stand before the king. That's all they have. Get it, crank it. We'll go in happily if it's not offering ourselves to you. He says, they say this, the three Hebrews say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Like, think about the mentality change that you need to start having. That when you're thrown into a furnace, you say, the God that is able is able to save me. But instead, what do you do? You text 15 people how your life is crumbling and falling apart and there is no hope for you. How about you change your mindset and you say, I'm in the fire. But the God who is able is willing and able to serve me. What are you doing that's different? I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in a position to demonstrate faith. And then it's up to God to show up. He says this, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, I love that. It make, we want to make this clear to you, your majesty. I, I mean, it's still being respectful. That we will never serve your gods. We will never worship the gold that you have set up before us. I mean, you know the rest of the story, hopefully. Go check on the Hebrews. The dude that goes to, well, first throw them in the fire, burns of how hot outside it is. But when they go to check on them, not only are the three in there, but there's one that looks like God in the middle having just dance sessions with them. 
just, just dancing. Ro- I'm gonna really, I want to really translate that properly, just romancing. Just romancing with them. Let's have a little dance. And they're dancing. With, he's dancing. The Lord is dancing with the Hebrews in the fire. Why would you dance with them in the fire? Because they put themselves in a position to demonstrate faith. And I show up and I'll have romance with them. I'll dance with them. Strong in faith. Set on your convictions. How many of you could say amen? All right. Um, two more things and we're done. Here it is. Um, Hudson Taylor says this. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say Hudson Taylor. Don't put it up. I'm, I'm going to do something that I was thinking about doing. And Angel kind of was like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to do it. Because I feel like nothing else matters right now but his word. Watch this. In Hebrews 11, I feel like the author of Hebrews, we could dialogue about who wrote Hebrews and all that stuff, but who cares? I just think he preached it so well. I think he preached on faith, and I, and I don't want to mess up his preaching. Is that cool? So I want to read to you his letter. Um, that I believe that when he wrote it, I really believe this about the author of Hebrews, though we don't know. I believe he had to speak this stuff into himself, and then we'll be able to write it. Maybe you'll get an understanding of it as I read it. Ready? I'm going to read Hebrews 11. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I love how it, it, it um, translates some of the words. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'll read it quick just for your comfort. <laughs> Here we go. Everyone there? Hebrews 11? Anyone there? Hebrews 11. All right, here we go. It says this. Now faith, this is long, but this is good. Try to pay attention. Now faith brings our hope. Now faith brings our hope into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coronated by the power of God's words. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to offer God than his brother Cain. And God declared him righteous because of his offering of faith. You saw that? Demonstration. Demonstration of faith. He, he put himself in a position. Man, don't miss this. By his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead. Man, I can just preach on that. I'm talking about generations. I'm talking about legacy. And he's still being, I'm talking about thousands of years ago today, and he's still being spoken about today. Why? Because what you might do today in faith today, and your convictions today, might, st- might still be talked about thousands of years from now. From who? From your great, 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 grandchildren. Like we are talking about Abel. My goodness. By his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead. Faith lifted up Enoch from his life, and he was taken up into heaven. He never had the experience death. He just disappeared from the world because God promoted him. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life became a pleasure to God. When did it become a pleasure? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. When did it become pleasurable to God? Before he was ever taken. I want you to know that your faith is not pleasing when you finally get to heaven. Stop thinking that it's about escaping earth and getting to heaven. Your faith is pleasing to the Lord here on earth. It's easy to have faith while you're up there. Man, I thought that was going to hit home a little bit better, but I, it hit home to me. <laughs> so good. Love you, Lord, for your word. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in which knowing that he is real, that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength in seeking him. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warning from God about what is coming. Even things that had never been seen. Oh man, what what no eye has seen and no ear has heard, the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Man, we could just go resources of verses. We could just go all over the place. But he stepped out in reverent obedience to God. And he built an ark that would save him and his family. By his faith, the world was condemned. But Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. Did you see that that faith brings forth that righteousness? Verse 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. Leave what is familiar to ascend. He left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. Verse 9, he lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. This is crazy. He had his sons into it. He had his sons feeling the same way and thinking the same way as him. That's what I want. I want my sons feeling and thinking the same way. If you're going to follow me, think like me. 
in the things of God and act like we don't want someone that's going to be, you know, oh man, whatever, let's keep going. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations whose architect and builder is God himself. Sarah's faith embraced the miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing for the authority of her faith rested in the one, Oswald Chambers' this quote, on the one who made the promise and she tapped into his faithfulness. Her faith tapped into his faithfulness. Put yourself in a position to demonstrate and tap into his faithfulness. Put yourself in a position, raise up your staff and watch the waters come up. Tap into my faithfulness by getting ready to demonstrate your faith. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith. One who was as good as dead that he now has offspring as innumerable as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. Every single one of us will go walk into heaven saying hello dad to Abraham. Every single one of us will say hello, Father, to Abraham. These heroes all died still clinging. In fact, so many children, I read that. Verse 13, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them, but they saw beyond the horizon. They saw behind the horizon. This is so good. They saw beyond the horizon. They took it deeper. They took it farther. The fulfillment of the promises and gladly embraced it from afar. My son, I'm praying that he takes it past the horizon. That which he's received from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belong to another realm. 13, for clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater. That is the heavenly realm. Anticipation for the future. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God. For he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Many of us are going to Jerusalem on Saturday. Amen. But get ready to be blown away when the new Jerusalem comes. You're like, woo! You see that sucker come down. You're like, woo! You're going to fall on your faces. You're going to go see dirt and rock and mountains. But when that junk comes down, you're going to fall on your face and say, I see the light and it looks and it feels so bright and there is no sun and there is no moon. But it's the, it, is the, it is the light that comes from the one who sits on his throne where he gives light to everyone. And we bow down because I don't understand a city that has light but yet has no source of it. In anything that I'm accustomed to, the source of it is the one called Beloved who sits on his throne. Man, this stuff feels heavy on me. Faith operated, verse 17, powerfully in Abraham. For when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son for God had promised. Oh, man. What did you get when you read that? This is what I read. I said, God blessed Abraham and God saw Abraham because Abraham had God's heart. God was willing to give his son and Abraham was willing to give his son. And God says, awesome, he knows my heart. I picked the right one that everyone will say dad when they... I picked the right one that everyone will say dad when they walk into heaven because he was willing to give his son and some thousands of years from now I'm willing to give my son he's got my heart I picked the right one through your son Isaac for even as he was going to offer up his own son God promised him that through his son your lineage is going to carry on your name for the legacy I'm, do you understand that I'm killing my legacy does that make sense I'm killing my legacy and God's like uh huh and I will kill mine too but what you don't understand that through death legacy is really experienced in resurrection So I'm going to kill my legacy being my son. But the legacy will live in resurrection. Do you have my heart? The 
power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his son Jacob and Esau concerning their prophetic destinies. Jacob worshipped in faith's reality at the end of his life and leaning upon his staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. 22, faith inspired Joseph and opened his eyes to see into the future. I'm not lying about this stuff that we were preaching. For as he was dying, he prophesied about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and he gave instructions that his bones were to be taken from Egypt with them. Verse 23, let's talk about Moses for a moment. Faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him for three months because they realized their child was exceptional and they refused to be afraid of the king's... Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will for although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity. Refused to make that your identity. What was his identity? Verse 25, he chose instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith certainty above the moment, momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasure. My identity is not found in this sin. It's found in that. He found his true wealth, identity, and suffering abuse for being anointed more than anything the world could offer him for his eyes looked with wonder wonder childlike wonder not on the immediate but on the ultimate faith's great reward holding faith's promise Moses abandoned Egypt and he had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who is unseen I will lift up my stick in front of water if that's what it takes Faith stirred Moses to perform the rite of Passover and sprinkles lamb's blood to prevent the destroyer from, from harming their firstborn. Moses would do physically what Jesus would accomplish, one of the most important things that Jesus would accomplish both physically and spiritually in the New Testament. And it was, why? Why would he let Moses? Because Moses knows my heart. So I'll let him do it. It's like Abraham, I'll let Moses do it. He knows my heart. I'm not saying they were perfect, but they knew his heart. David wasn't perfect, but he was known as a man after God's heart. Sometimes that's all he wants to do. He rubbed the faith in you just so you could finally burn in his heart and know his heart and finally be set on conviction. That's all it is. We make it more difficult. Come on, I feel that. Faith opened the way for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if it was on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to cross, they were swallowed up and drowned. Why? Because they didn't function in the authority of faith. So their lack of that authority drowned them, but the ones who walked in that authority, they got there like if it was dry land. That's why when one man in the New Testament tells the apostle, hey, give me that same power you have so I could cast out demons, he says, well, you think you could buy this stuff from me? This stuff is given from someone else. This is some authoritative stuff that you can't have. can be handed over to you. All right, let's wrap this. Here it is, 32. What more could I say to convince you? I told you he preached it good. For there is not enough time to tell you, and there isn't enough time, of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. How many of you, God's calling you, as I'm reading this, if God's calling you in this faith, setting convictions, just start standing as you, as you, as you hearing God's call to stand and let that be the altar call of your stance. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouth of lions that put out the power of raging fire and caused many to escape certain death by the sword in their weaknesses, in their weakness, in their weakness, come on, weakness, in their weakness, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Stop thinking you need to be strong. You just need to be weak and operate in strength and faith. Not strength in physical things, strength in faith and you're weak physically. It's okay. Faith sparked courage within them and they became mighty warriors in battle. I want to be that. My name means mighty warrior. My name actually means that. I want to be that. Mighty warrior in battle. Putting armies from another realm into battle array. Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Come on, Astrid. 
Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured and didn't deny their faith in order to be freed because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. My faith doesn't look here. It goes past this stuff. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were chained and imprisoned. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sawn in two or slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith as they went about wearing goatskins and sheepskins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions and they were cruelly mistreated. And they wandered in the earth living in the desert wilderness. Man, that's the lifestyle. They lived in the wilderness. Wilderness was home. Remember that preaching? I don't know if you guys remember. You should go back and listen to it. The wild. The wild is home. I should preach that message again. The wild is home. In caves, on barren mountains, and in holes in the earth. Truly the world was not even worthy of them. They're living in caves and dens and the world is not worthy of them. You think the world is worthy of you? You're of greater worth in this world. You stand before princes and kings and presidents and royalty. Billions of people stop what they're doing at five in the morning to watch their weddings. And yet God looks at you and says, you're more worth than them. The earth is not worthy to have you on this planet. Truly the world was not worthy of them, not realizing who they were. Come on, does the world, the world doesn't realize. Some of you don't even realize who you are yet. The world doesn't realize who we are. You're hearing that angel about a conversation the other day? A holy place becomes holy when we step into the scene because we are holy people. This place is a warehouse, is a church, but when we come in here, it becomes holy. There's nothing holiness in here. It's holiness in here. Verse 39 and 40. Because I really could go to Hebrews 12, but I won't. But These were the true heroes. Commended for their faith, yet they lived in hope. Without receiving the fullness of what was promised. But now God has invited us to live. Permission, invited, entrance, doors open to live in something better than what they had. Faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finish perfection alongside of us. Lord, I pray for the ones who stood up. I pray your hand over their lives. For the ones who are sitting who are still trying to figure it out, am I called to live this way? Lord, I pray that you would burn in their hearts right now. For the one sitting, for the one standing, that you would burn. And that, Lord God, that we would, that we would be set on our convictions, that we would be strong in faith, Lord God. That, that Lord God, we would please you, Lord. We give you our lives. Let us, let us, like Barnabas, Lord God, mature. Let us be good men full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, Lord. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to this excerpt from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor says this, many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources and thus they attempt very little and they always fail. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with them. Lord, let my faith reckon with your power and your presence to be with me. That I am a giant, I'm a weak man, but I'm a giant all at the same time. Because my faith is on the power and presence of the one who is with me. How many of you could say amen? Lord, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, fill every single one of us. Let us have an awesome Father's Day, an awesome week. We're going to continue to maybe have Betsy just come and sing over us as we just give each other a hug. I'll be up here. If you need prayer, you could come up here. If not, get your kids and 
love one another. Have an awesome, safe day. I want to see everyone here on Wednesday again for another awesome teaching and an awesome time in his word and in his presence. But if you need time just to minister, I'm going to ask everyone just to hug each other, go outside behind those doors, talk outside, love each other outside. And if you need prayer, you could come up. We'll pray with you. But let's have an awesome week, an awesome day. Let's glorify the Lord. Let, as, as we dismiss, let Betsy sing over us. And, and if you need that prayer today, we'll pray with you. Amen. Before you go. Thank you for today. Thank you guys for coming. I'm praying for an awesome week on an awesome Wednesday service. Man, I'll see you guys tomorrow and Wednesday and, and it's going to be special. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.